Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. Here on Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing or spirituality or social transformation. I'm Dr. Dr. David, your host, and in many of these episodes, <coughs> excuse me, I'm primarily interviewing someone that I'm interested in learning more about. And in some of these episodes, we turn the tables. I call those turn the table episodes, where I invite someone to have a conversation with me and draw me out about something that's important to me to talk about. And that's what, that's the format for this particular episode. And I invited my friend and my student, Karmjeet Singh, to be with me today and to be with you in order to do that, in order to draw me out and uh, clarify my ideas and my vision for certain things, and to invite the viewers and the listeners who resonate with what we're talking about to eventually respond to me to. Uh, pursue further possibilities for how they might participate in actualizing this vision and also inviting the viewers and the listeners to thoughtfully consider sharing this conversation with other people that they feel would appreciate the opportunity as well. So, so I want to set the stage a little bit and then I'll turn it over to Karmjeet. So I'm the kind of person where I really pay attention to what's moving at a deep level inside of me. And I, I attempt to the best of my ability not to just take action because I'm bored or because I'm afraid or because I think that I have to, but rather take action when, shall we say, the spirit moves me to do so. And when I get really quiet, oftentimes the way that motion begins <clears throat> is with a sense of something wanting to come through me and I stay with that sense and eventually it begins to clarify in various ways in thoughts, in, in epiphanies, in visions, in ahas and, and things start to clarify. And so that's what's been happening for me over the last couple of months, maybe the last several months. And this conversation is being recorded at the end of February of 2022. In the world right now, on the world stage, things are really coming to a head. There is a budding war uh, between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, there's tremendous upheaval in the financial realities. Uh, there's tremendous schism within the United States and the world between people that value personal freedom and personal sovereignty and family and spirituality and integrity and honesty, as opposed to the forces that want to dominate and control and believe that they know better than other people about what is good for them and what they should do. So things are really coming to a head at that level on a international and national front and also in people's personal lives as the energies on the planet quicken um, 
individuals are being challenged as well to take a look at their shadow side and both their light shadow and their dark shadow, what they've been denying within themselves, not only in terms of things they've been afraid to look at, but also in terms of maybe not acknowledging their uniqueness, their unique love, their unique gifts and talents and strengths and interests. So it's a very dynamic time, challenging time. And for those of you that are familiar with the I Ching, the hexagram for crisis is the exact same hexagram for opportunity. And so for those of us that are aware and consciously participating in what is happening, there are tremendous opportunities to uplift ourselves and others and to be the change we want to see in the world. But that's not easy. It's really hard to do it alone. It's hard to do it without proper guidance. It's proper to, it's very difficult to do it without a supportive aligned community of committed people that have particular values. And uh, human beings are multidimensional. And so there's a lot of different aspects of what it means to be a human being and what needs to transform in order to actualize that vision. And for those of you that know me, you know that for decades, this is what I've been all about. I've been about preparing myself and preparing others for these times. And so this is kind of like the main event. This is kind of sort of like the Super Bowl of my lifetime. Things of this is why I'm here. And so some of you may be familiar with the myth of the phoenix, the mythical bird that rises from the ashes. And uh, this was the inspiration for the uh, vision that I had for what we're going to be talking about today, which is a project called Phoenix Rises. And uh, so with that as a setting the tone for the conversation, I'm going to turn it over to my friend and my student, Karmjeet Singh. And she'll ask some questions and then we'll see where the conversation wants to go and we'll let it go where it wants to go. And then when it seems to be winding down, um, I will, Karmjeet will remind me and I'll let people know uh, where they, where and how they can contact me if they are in tune with what we're talking about and they want to explore it further. So without further ado, let me turn this episode over to Karmjeet. Thank you so much, Dr. K. And I'm really honored to have this opportunity to talk to you. So thank you so much. Um, so I'm excited about this topic. So Phoenix Rising. So, you, you know, you briefly shared, um, you know, the myth of the Phoenix that rises from the ashes. Can you tell us just briefly a little bit more about that? Like, what well, is... Obviously, it's a symbol for... Um, breakdown at a profound level and then some new life emerging from that and so uh, one of the people that I've studied quite carefully is the being that most people know in the west as Jesus um, actually during the time that he actually walked on the surface of the earth his name was actually pronounced much more like Yeshua, which I will refer to him as in this conversation. I like the energy better of that word. And uh, 
one of the things that he said is he said, let the dead bury the dead. Um, he also said, honor life in the living and release the dead and the dying. And I want to paraphrase that. It means to let go of what is no longer working in reality and to honor, to pay attention to, to fan the flames of, to expand on what is working in reality. One of the things that he said that many people don't know that he said was he said that God is one with reality with a capital R. In other words, the laws of God in creation are not meant to punish, they're not meant to judge, they're not meant to hurt, they're meant to promote workability. And because we live in a zone of the universe that would be considered a free will zone of the universe, and one of the things that makes the being of a human being different than say the human be than the being of a rock or a plant or a dog is that we have the gift and the power and the responsibility and the freedom and the consequences in our experience to think whatever we want, to believe whatever we want. But it turns out that what we believe is true although it can have an impact in our personal life experience, it has no impact at all on the laws of God and the laws of creation. And therefore human beings are free to believe and experience whatever it is that they choose, but they're not free to determine the consequences of those choices. In other words, when the Buddha referred to that life is suffering, what he was basically getting at is that the level of consciousness of human beings at the time was so ego-based, was so divorced from consciously being aware of and aligning with the laws of God and creation that the choices that people were making were eventually inevitably going to lead to personal and collective suffering. And if you look at the history of humanity over uh, recent recorded history, certainly over the last 13,000 years, we basically see the same themes being played over and over again. Basically control and power plays for domination of resources and controlling other people. Um, and you see the rise and fall of civilizations and the rise and fall of cultures and civilizations are correlated with the workability or non-workability of the main ideas that are moving that culture. And so we've had waves of golden eras where we had leaders and situations where uh, whether it was consciously or unconsciously, the laws of God and creation were, were consciously being cooperated with by humanity. And there was a flourishing and a golden era. And then there were periods of decadence and decay and, and, and human beings moving away from honoring those laws of God and creation 
and then you have what I would call unworkability, you have breakdown, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it became very clear to me, I was born in 1956, so I was kind of a middle to late baby boomer. And it became clear to me around the late 18, 1980s, early 1990s, that there had been such a violation of these laws of God and creation at the cultural level. And there was such a blindness of humanity to the fact that that was happening, that it was inevitable that there was gonna be a period of reckoning. And for some reason, I had a sensitivity to that process and those energies and really dedicated myself to understanding what was happening and to mastering within myself what I needed to master to be able to negotiate those times with the maximum amount of peace and joy and ease and grace, and then to learn what I needed to learn about how to be with other human beings to facilitate that process for others. And so that journey took me many places as I became more aware of the multidimensional nature of human beings. Uh, I realized that I needed to know a lot about a lot of things. I needed to know a lot about the physical body. I needed to know a lot about energy. I needed to know a lot about emotions, thoughts, being, uh, history, uh, philosophy, ontology, psychology, mathematics, uh, the life sciences, uh, some a certain level of knowledge about chemistry and, and physics, um, so that I could understand what was happening. Because if we don't understand what's happening, we're probably going to repeat what's happening. And uh, so that's a long-winded response to your question, but basically it's the idea that we're going through a period where the unworkability of the prevailing ways of being and ideas of our culture, are be, the unworkability is becoming so apparent to a critical mass of people that it can't be covered up anymore. And so, the average person, so to speak, quote unquote, is going through the shocking experience of realizing the depravity, the depth of evil that has um, infiltrated and uh, adulterated and infected our institutions, our culture, even our bodies, and, uh, and even our prevailing philosophies and worldviews. For example, one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most evil philosophies that has really been running rampant increasingly since the 1970s has been the philosophy of moral relativism. The idea that there are no absolute truths, there are no true virtues, there are no laws of God and creation, that everything is simply a human opinion, that everything is simply a human point of view, and that therefore all viewpoints are equally valid. Now, it's true that everyone is entitled to their own viewpoints, 
but not everybody's viewpoint is going to match with reality. So for example, if someone's on an LSD trip and they're hallucinating that they can fly, they can believe with every fiber of their being that if they jump out this window and they flap their arms a few times that they'll be able to fly. But I highly doubt that they'd go a few more than a few seconds without hitting the ground. And so we're free to think and believe whatever we want, but we're not free to avoid the consequences of our individual and collective ideas and where we put our faith. So, um, so we're in this period of massive breakdown and people are very afraid. And if you study history, one of the things that you find is that when people are panicked, it's a time that's very ripe for, uh, for things like fascism, communism, um, sophomoric, oversimplistic, dogmatic approaches to very complex problems. And one of the favorite tools of the dark side is the old divide and conquer strategy, where they get people to spend their energy arguing about whether being a Democrat is better or being a Republican is better when maybe all roads lead to Rome. And your attention is being taken away from where the action really is. And the other thing that I realized, because this type of change is so broad and so deep that most people don't even have a vocabulary that allows them to have the distinctions that are necessary to even have powerful conversations about all of this, let alone take powerful action. And this is sort of right up my alley. Um, um, you could look at the fabric of society as a mosaic of conversation. And the quality of people's conversations correlates very highly with the quality of their lives, whether it's a conversation they're having in their own head or if it's a conversation they're having with others. And there's been an intentional dumbing down by the dark side to the point where most people have lost the ability to even critically think and deeply feel. And if you can't deeply think and deeply feel, you're ripe for the pickings for dictatorship. You're ripe for the pickings of communism. You're right for the pickings of all sorts of dominating type of realities. But as these cultures break, as these systems and institutions and ideas break down and demonstrate their unworkability and people suffer, um, many people start to be humbled by life and start to possibly be willing to reconsider things they haven't been willing to consider before. But then it's very easy to, to let the pendulum swing and just go from one option to the other. Like the example I gave about Democrat, Republican, where all roads lead to Rome, where people really need to go deeper 
But in order to be able to go deeper, what I find is, is that, I mean, there are exceptions, but I'm talking about very rare exceptions, that if you really want to break orbit from the matrix, if you really want to break orbit from the way you're thrown to be from your culture and your family of origin, I would say for 990 out of a thousand people at least, they're not going to be able to do it all on their own on the physical plane. They're going to need some kind of physical plane guide. They're going to need some kind of teaching that stands the test of time. It can be dem that you can test it out in your own experience. And you need a community of high integrity, loving beings that are committed to a similar vision. And that's becomes pretty obvious when you realize to what extent, number one, we're social creatures. So a lot of our traumas were triggered through social interaction. Um, so, so in Buddhism, they talk about these three elements that are necessary, not necessary, but, but are skillful, skillful for a sincere seeker of truth, for a truth student. And in, Bud in Buddhism, they talk about the Buddha, which is the living person, the person that is the living example of this state of consciousness of these living virtues. And then they talk about the uh, Dharma, which is the perennial philosophy, the truth teachings that are based on actual true principles, shall we say. And then there's the Sangha, which is the community of fellow travelers on the path. And I think that's a great meta scaffolding for uh, facilitating Phoenix Rising. And yet at the same time, we live existentially in times that are very different from when the Buddha walked the earth in a physical body. And so uh, things have changed. Um, student, uh, spiritual students are householders at the same time now. And um, were exposed to uh, media that, that they were not exposed to in the past. Um, uh, the way that the, uh, the way monetary exchange occurs is completely different. Um, the types of food that we're eating and how they're made is completely different. The topsoil is completely different. Uh, we understand things now about depth psychology that were not part of the conversation, or at least not part of the conversation, except for maybe very, 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 very advanced students. So, and time is speeding up. So, we live in a, we, there are there are eternal principles, so to speak, but there's also the ever-changing stage of life. And so to me, it's bringing to bear these truths with a sensitivity to current physical, psychological, political, economic, chemical realities, and somehow being able to navigate that and negotiate that in a way where you can take advantage of the breakdown where the breakdown literally releases energy and information 
that if you know how to work with it, kind of like an Aikido master, if you know how to work with it, it can be to your advantage. But it requires a type of learning that isn't just an intellectual learning. It's kind of a whole being learning that sometimes has been referred to as uh, the infinite game. Uh, Simon, uh, what's his name? Simon Sinek wrote a great book about the infinite game. And uh, Yeshua referred to the relationship between the infinite game and the finite games that human beings play. And uh, his counsel for that was to uh, be in the world, but not of the world. His counsel to that was to honor the sacred, to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Uh, so he had a lot to say about this. But we live in completely different times now. And he knew this time would come. He understood cycles. He understood the way of things. He understood the probabilities of human consciousness and the way and, and what it takes for human consciousness to ripen. And if you let go of your pictures about what he what is meant by the second coming, you might open up to the fact that maybe. The second coming is happening right now. Maybe the second coming is happening through Zoom meetings and maybe this conversation and maybe it's coming through the trucker caravans and maybe it's coming through thousands of different ways. Maybe it's coming through um, a mother standing up for her child when it comes to the school wanting their child to get a zillion vaccinations. Maybe the second coming is right here. Um, and so that's a very long-winded answer to your question. Thank, thank you for that. Um, so, so come. Um, so, actually, you shared a lot of great things, and some of it we might come back to. But um, looking at the phoenix rising, um, I believe you actually have a like a diagram, kind of like a, a process or something, you know, that you think would help people to really be able to use this. Would you be open to talking about that? Yeah, I would say it's not a process. I would say it's more of a conceptual structure that helps to, you know, the old expression, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You know, this is such a big thing we're talking about that, um, you know, the, the, the conscious mind wants to get some kind of a handle on it, some kind of a sense of what it is. And, uh, you know, there's an old expression in sales training that a confused mind doesn't buy, you know? So, um, you know, one of the really key principles in honoring the unfoldment of being is to honor the principle of gradient, which is that, you know, you could take someone who could potentially be a genius in mathematics, but if you attempted to teach them calculus before you taught them how to add, they might get overwhelmed and think that they're bad at math or that, that they would have a trauma associated with math and then they would never pursue that what might have been their highest destiny. And so um, in part of skillful means is the skillful use of languages and words and mental 
conceptual structures that help to open people up to greater clarity and a greater resonance with what's beyond the words. And so I'd like to proceed in that spirit. And so if, if you're listening or you're seeing this and you have the opportunity to take out a piece of paper to follow along and put a little mass to what I'm talking about, I want you to imagine a transparent pyramid. So the base of the pyramid has three sides, so it's a triangle. And then you could imagine triangular walls coming up from the base. So you have a four-sided three-dimensional object, and that's the smallest number of sides that you can possibly have for a three-dimensional object. Otherwise, you would just have a plane. And so it's sort of the fundamental shape of 3D, okay? And so, you know, everybody kind of likes the number three. And there's something about the number three that, you know, da, 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 right? Things happen in threes, kind of like that. So if you would, on the angles of the base of the pyramid, if you would put the following phrases. So on one of the angles, put the phrase physical vitality and well being or wellness, physical vitality and wellness. And then on one, another one of the angles on the base, put the word abundance and I'll come back to that and define what I mean by that. And then on the other base angle, I want you to put the phrase skillful means and then under skillful means i want you to draw a couple of diagonal lines going down and i want you to put at the other end of that little those two little diagonal lines i want you to put the words under one of those lines i want you to put inner world and um, at the bottom of the other line i want you to put outer world and then so this pyramid is going to have a top and the top is going to be another angle. And so I, the word I want you to put there is being, or you could put authentic being. And so this is a structure and words that came to me over a period of a couple of weeks to accomplish what I had mentioned earlier, to try to put a conceptual handle on some of the keys to, that unlock the door to this possibility that I'm calling Phoenix Rising. So basically this is an attempt to distill. This is something I like to do. I like to take big ideas and I like to distill them to their essence. Cause I find if you can relate to the essence of an idea, it's very powerful and you don't get stuck in the specific images that partially represent that essence and you can go deeper. And you have more flexibility on, you have more intimacy with that essence and you have more flexibility with the universal application of that essence because you're not stuck with a fixed picture of what that has to look like. So I like to distill big ideas to their essence and then find uh, short phrases or sentences that, that punctuate it in a really powerful way. That kind of simplicity, I think, that kind of essential simplicity has a lot of power.
and it's 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 elegant and it uh, it 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 can lead to a lot of mastery so let's let's get into this so probably the hardest one to understand because we're the most unconscious about it is being because most people haven't given any conscious thought to being what is being what is being for human beings as opposed to the being of a dog or the being of a plant or the being of an angel or the being of a rock what is being for you? what what is the distinction of what makes a human being distinct from the being of a dog most people haven't thought about that and yet i say and a lot of really wise beings that have gone before me say in their own words say that this is something that you don't know that you don't know about that if you knew about it in a particular way and had some facility with it and some mastery with it could be the difference that makes the difference for you so we could say one could say that based on the drift of our family of origin our ancestors the culture we were born into that simply by being born into that culture there was a way we were thrown to be that we didn't know we were thrown to be because we didn't have anything to compare it to it would be like a fish in the water like if a fish could speak english and I could talk to the fish and I would say, how do you like the water you're swimming in? The fish would go, what the heck are you talking about? What is water? What do you mean? Well, it's kind of like that. And so if you, if you were raised in Western culture or influenced by Western culture, Western culture is basically based on dualism separation uh separate subjects and objects and actions johnny hit the ball there's a separate johnny there's a separate ball and then there's a separate thing called action and so we take it for granted that that's reality we don't say we don't be we don't be that that is one way of describing reality we don't be that way we be that that's reality we're, we're that, that's our water and so when you objectify everything and you make everything separate from everything else then the bad news the good news is that it allows you to create realities that can make computers and can put a man on the moon and can you can build cars and stuff like that so it's not that that's wrong or that's bad but where it becomes dysfunctional is when you are whether you know it or not that you are that that's the only way of being that's the only way to look at the world so 
So we're thrown to be this way without knowing that we're thrown to be this way. And that's our blind spot. And so the first challenge is to become aware of the way you're thrown to be. But then that creates another challenge because once you become aware of the way you're thrown to be, or you could call it the matrix, or you could call it the trap, or, or maybe people that are fundamentally religious would say the realization that the way we're thrown to be, we're kind of like born in sin. We're kind of born into a lie. We're sort of born into a miasma. We're sort of born into a misperception. We're sort of born into a matrix. We're sort of born into what the Buddha called suffering. We're sort of born into that trap. Uh, once you discover that, your initial reaction is usually one of shock and terror. And then you get really pissed off. And then you could get really depressed. And um, many people have gotten stuck there. Many mental institutions are filled with people that have gotten stuck there. Many alcoholics, many people addicted to various drugs are people that have gotten stuck there. Many artists have gotten stuck there. Many musicians have gotten stuck there. Many philosophers have gotten stuck there. Alan Watts was even an alcoholic. The French existentialists got stuck there. They got stuck in the meaninglessness of it all. They, they fell into their own trap. They made it mean something that it was meaningless. So it's a dangerous road to travel without a really good guide because you can end up suffering even more because you can end up judging yourself. You can end up judging others. You can, uh, you can just end up with more things to judge, more things to hate, more things to be depressed about. And that's what's happening a lot right now because people are waking up to the matrix, but they don't quite know how to be with that. And so are you saying that one critical element of how to be with that is being is that why you're is that why i'm saying that, that until you are willing to take a deep inquiry into being what is being what is being for human beings what have you been being what could you be being what is the possibility of being for human beings until you're willing to really engage in that inquiry at the kind of like on the edge of your seat with those issues you're going to be being in such a way that any attempt to get out of the trap is more of the trap or any attempt to surrender to the trap is more of the trap. Any attempt to try to resist the trap is more of the trap. Any attempt to judge the trap is more of the trap. And that's about all the options the ego can think of. And so 
this is why being a dilettante on the spiritual path is very dangerous. This is why a sophomoric approach to spirituality is very dangerous. Because by definition, as you pursue the spiritual path, you become more aware of more things. Some of the things you like, some of the things you don't like, that's fine. But if you are ego-based and then you take all these things you see, and then you just becomes food for the ego mill to just judge more, you're going to suffer more. You're going to wish that you could just go back to being blind Joe Sixpack. Because at least, at least he's able to go to the bar and watch the game with his friends and have a good time. And, um, you know, I see spiritual casualties strewn all over the place. And I see a lot of what I would call false teachings and false teachers. Some of them are consciously evil and some of them are just misguided. Um, and, you know, then of course you have the non-dual teachers. Um, and the problem I see with most non-dual teachings is that they don't acknowledge and respect the physical and psychological and political and financial realities of our time. And they take the point of view that, well, it's not real, so just get over it. Um, but we can't do that because of the way we're psychologically wired, the way we're uh, hormonally wired, the way we're neurologically wired, we can't do that. And so, and so that just sets people up for more failure and makes them uh, abort their spiritual path anyway and think there's something wrong with them instead of realizing that it is a limitation of the workability of many non-dual teachings. So you've got limitations with the non-dual teachers and then the other people like the psychologists, like 99% of the psychologists that don't acknowledge being and don't help people to study being and they're just studying their thoughts and their feelings. Uh, you know, that's like swimming around in the quicksand as far as I'm concerned. And so that maybe leads to coping a little better, but it doesn't lead to self-realization. You know, and then you have the, then you have the uh, scientists that are steeped in scientific materialism that believe that the only thing that's real is what you can measure, but that's ridiculous because our, our measuring capacities are constantly changing. Like for example, until about 125 years ago, we couldn't measure x-rays, but are you telling me that x-rays didn't exist before we could measure them? So I think that's a very um, egotistical, full of yourself viewpoint that to me doesn't hold water under even the barest of real intellectual scrutiny. Then you have the postmodernists who say there is no real truth, there is no true virtue, there is no fundamental nature, there is no God. Uh, it's all just a point of view. So uh, all points of view are equally valid. So if, uh, if somebody thinks that having sex with an eight-year-old is fine, well, that point of view maybe is just as equally valid as yours, you know? So that definitely leads to a reality that I don't think most people would wanna live in. So people look around and then young people listen to what their older people say and how they, and what older people say, how younger people should live. 
But then the younger people look at the older people and they go, well, they don't look so happy. They don't look so successful. You know, you know, my parents haven't kissed each other in 10 years. Why should I take relationship advice from them? Oh, my parents hate their work. They're $10,000, they're $100,000 in debt. Why should I take professional or financial advice from them? Totally valid. And so, you know, that can lead to hedonism, that can lead to uh, uh, what we have today. So uh, then you have the people that think that human beings are the problem. We just need to get rid of the humans. You know, we just need to get the population way down and uh, we just need to, uh, we just need to uh, automate everything. Let technology be our new God. And, you know, look where that's taking us. Then you have men thinking that it's okay to say you're a woman. You have women that thinks they have the right to say they're a man. You know, how's that working? So it's become crazy. And um, it's easy when things are crazy to stop being committed to staying conscious. And yet that's what's required. And most people can't do it alone. And most people can't do it without a guide. Most people can't do it without a community. Most people can't do it without a conceptual frameworks that resonate with reality enough to be useful. Uh, most people can't do it without engaging in powerful conversations. Most people can't do it without upgrading their food intake and diet. Most people can't do it without upgrading how they use their, move their body, how they rest. Um, most people can't do it without upgrading their standards for their own conduct and for the conduct of people that are close to them. Um, you know, and people will ultimately figure it out, but it could take hundreds of incarnations. And that's okay if that's what you wanna do. But there are some people that are hot to trot. There's some people where their soul is ripe enough. And in this lifetime, they've reached a certain point where they're on fire to know truth, uh, but they don't want to be poor. They don't want to be a monk. They don't want to, you know, they don't like the packaging. Um, and I say that's fantastic. And so is that, how like the other um aspects of the the model right uh, you said some don't want to be poor right so is that where the abundance comes in and the physical wellness could you talk about those right when i look at people that in my opinion are really the most joyous the most effective transformational catalysts and are able to impact large numbers of people i mean i didn't just create this model out of good my good ideas i actually looked out into reality and looked at my experience of as a modeler, as a modeler, as a professional modeler, looking out at the world and going, what do these people that are really, really joyful, effective uplifters, what do they tend to have in common? So I didn't just, you know, make this up because I didn't have anything better to do. So one of the things I see is that by abundance, I mean, you might want to write this down. I mean, timely access to 
appropriate resources combined with the willingness and ability to be an excellent steward of those resources. In other words, they don't say, when they have a vision and they start to move toward it, they don't say, I don't have the money. They don't say, I don't have the time. And so we've looked at the being one. We've looked at the abundance one. Um, and you so know, it, it, it's like it's like most people aren't taught how money works. Most people aren't taught how entrepreneurship works. Most people haven't been taught about valid, effective sales and marketing strategies. Most people haven't been taught how to negotiate. Uh, most people haven't been taught about a lot of things because abundance goes against the control game, right? There's a freedom and a responsibility and a power that goes along with true abundance that is scary for many people. Many people have limited ideas about responsibility. Many people have limiting ideas about power. Many people have bought into the scarcity consciousness that's at the basis of the way we're thrown to be. So that's what I mean by abundance. Talked about being. Okay, physical vitality and well-being. I think that's pretty self-explanatory but I just want to draw attention to one of the ways we're thrown to be is that unless we're really, really in pain or, or we have some severe dysfunction, if you ask most people how they are, they'll go, I'm fine. So in other words, one of the ways we're thrown to be is we have fine being fine associated with not being in terrible pain or dysfunction. And so I want to contrast that with what I mean when I talk about physical health and vitality and wellness. I'm talking about an ongoing conscious participation in the flow of love and information and energy that is constantly, never-endingly, has the possibility of expanding to greater and greater levels. So you don't have to wait until you're dying in order to learn about uh, what works for your body like that so in other words another thing I noticed about these people is that they tend to put a high value on their physical wellness and vitality and they're willing to make an investment in products and energy and information and support that help them to uh, have their physical body be in service to their values and their missions rather than being an excuse. I'm too old. I don't have the energy, you know, like that. Right. So that's that. Now, skillful means, okay, skillful means. So you can be the most loving person in the world, but if you're not wise, if you don't have skillful tactics and strategies, 
you probably won't accomplish very much. And, and some of the stuff you'll accomplish, you'll even regret later. Because a lot of times the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So by skillful means, I mean street smarts. I mean, I mean learning how to be with your inner world and outer world in a way where they make a contribution to you rather than being something that stops you. Like, this may sound a little oversimplistic, but it's amazing how many people are that they are without knowing that they are that they are. It's amazing how many people are that they are their viewpoints. And there's a really easy way to demonstrate that. There are many people that if you challenge their viewpoint, they act as if you are challenging them. Like if somebody says, well, I think Donald Trump has done a lot of good for the average person in this country. There are some people that will react in their thoughts and emotions as if you were threatening them. And that would only occur if people were being, without knowing that they're being, that they are their viewpoint. Otherwise they wouldn't feel threatened and they wouldn't want to attack. So, so, so skillful means in relation to your inner world begins by becoming aware of the various elements that make up the inner world of a human being and beginning to become aware of them. This is the first step in mastering anything is becoming aware of them and then learning how to be with what you become aware of. So for example, looking at skillful means in relation to one's inner world begins with an awareness of what components make up your inner world. So I'll give you a list of maybe a dozen to start with. Body sensations and their location. Body posture, facial expression, emotions and feelings, thoughts, attitudes, moods, memories, images from the past, fantasies, intentions, expectations, if I didn't say it already, intuitions, sense of energy flow, Most people wouldn't be able to name them. If you can't name them, you can't study them. Would you put beliefs in there? Beliefs, sure, yes. If you can't name them, you can't study them. 
If they're not distinct for you, they don't exist. If you don't have a vocabulary that allows you to make them distinct, you can't study them with your conscious mind. So skillful means begins with becoming aware of these aspects of yourself and then learning how to be with them in a way that they let you be. Not only do they let you be, but there's ways of being with these that actually end up making a contribution to you no matter what they are. And it's great to get to a point where you're not afraid of your own inner world. That's a very powerful shift. And one of the things that I notice about very high functioning people is instead of being afraid of their inner world, they're very curious about it. Like it's data for them, it's more information. And then in the same way that it's, that there's skillful means about relating to your inner world, there's skillful means about relating to your outer world, right? Communication skills, learning about finances, learning about the, uh, learning about history, learning about the laws of the land, learning about different philosophies, uh, learning about mathematics, learning about the structures of learning about logic, learning about this, the, uh, the study of languages, you know, uh, learning about different, uh, learning about civics, learning about the structure of your government, um, learning about how banking works, uh, learning about how your body works, all of these things that have to do with becoming aware of the forces that in your outer world that impact human beings. And um, and, and learning about them and, and taking a look at which ones, which strategies, which tactics, which philosophies tend to be resonant with your own values and tend to bring out the best in you and the best in others and the best in situations and which ones tend to lead to domination, control, unconsciousness, automaticity, depression, alienation, lack of meaning. If, 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 you, if you can't name the elements that make up your outer world, you can't study them. And again, the same principle applies. Without some spiritual guidance, that could leave you very depressed. You know, you know the old thing about see no evil, hear no evil. You know, um, so... So that covers that. So my vision for Phoenix Rising is a small community of committed uh, freedom lovers, truth students, whatever you want to call them, that resonate with this conversation. That's like, yeah, you know, I haven't like consciously thought about this, but now that I'm listening to this guy, uh, he's onto something. And it's something important, it's something powerful, it's something that's been missing for me. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I was having sort of this existential angst that I couldn't quite get to the bottom of. And like, I have this sense that he's pointing to something that could actually pull the plug on that. And, and this occurs to them as a joyous possibility. Um, you know, everything begins with a conversation. And this is a conversation. And I think it's potentially a powerful conversation. And I like how you're drawing me out. I think what I'd like to do at this point 
to have you sort of be a proxy for many of the viewers and listeners is if I could ask you a question. Sure. What, what are you experiencing? What are you sensing as you allow yourself to be a recipient? If you get out of your interviewer mode and you go into your receiving this communication like a recipient mode, as you go into that mode, what are some of the things that are present for you? Yeah, um, so I will tell you that even though I've been studying with you for a number of years now, some things, um, I it's clear that, you know, I still um, have challenges by being with them, but, but let me kind of, you know, just step into the role of, like, let's say if I just heard you for the first time, there's a lot that you shared there. And it seems like, oh, okay, in order for me to be a phoenix rising, I gotta, I gotta study this, I gotta study this, I gotta do this and that. And it seems like a lot. Well, let me stop you there. And I appreciate your transparency. So if you listen to the words that you said, you said, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. Now, that's that kind of pressure is the kind of pressure that's correlated with an incredible amount of judgment. And as a spiritual guide for you, the most valuable thing I can do at this point is point out to you that you're being, being, that you're being judgmental. And anything, once you're being judgmental and you don't know it, or you judge your being judgmentalness, or you attempt to cover up your being judgmental, all of that is just more of the trap. And I teach people how to be with the awareness of being judgmental that actually is the doorway to mastery. Right. And, and I appreciate you actually pointing that out because you've pointed that out to me many times before. And as you can tell, as you can tell, it's it, like, for me, it's like a rubber band, right? So, so like I'm, I, in that moment, when I was answering you, I had completely forgotten that I was being judgmental, right? Like I, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why they pay me the big bucks, right. right? Because I'm such a weird person that I track the kind of stuff that for most people is their water. Right. Yeah. And so, so, so you, you, you pointed out, okay, so when I hear and when I heard what you shared, right, for Phoenix Rising, so there's a part of me that was very excited by, oh, Phoenix Rising, oh, you know, like, rise from the ashes. So I'm excited by that. And at the same time, I'm like, okay, so now what? Okay. Well, you're definitely bringing out the, your, I, your, your transparency is beautiful because it brings out a sort of law of the universe that I think would be useful to punctuate and explicate. And that is that whenever you open up to a, a new possibility and you're actually considering deeply living into that possibility in a committed way, it will bring to the surface 
that which is inconsistent with the stand for that possibility. So in this case, it brought up your being judgmental. But now, and you, and you had no choice about that. That's just what happens. But now you have a choice. And now your choice is, am I grateful? Ultimately, am I grateful for seeing that I am being judgmental because I have faith that the awareness that I am being judgmental is the first and necessary step in eventually possibly mastering my relationship to judgment. So it's not about being perfect. It's not about already being in Christ consciousness. It's about loving Christ consciousness. It's about becoming more intimate with Christ consciousness. It's about surrendering to one's divine design and loving that, not trying to get away from being bad, but it's about loving the truth of being and having faith in that which you can't even yet put into words. So you said something there and I wasn't able to write it down, um, but it was like becoming more intimate with, like, with what you are. And I think there's many of us who may feel like I'm not 100% sure, you know, like, of course not, because if you were, but, but, but see, it's interesting that you even feel the need to say that, because if you were 100% sure, then you'd be not where you are. So it's hard to love what, uh, so sometimes, it is, right, so, so there is the faith, I do have the faith, but at the same time, Sometimes it's hard to, you know, love the mess that I am at times, you know? Well, for one thing, for one thing, you construe it as a mess, which is your particular way of construing it. Um, I don't find it that useful to construe your current way of being as a mess. I would invite you to consider the possibility that your current way of being isn't producing the results you want. Say yes. that. Yes, I, I agree with that. So, so my current way of being isn't producing the results that I want. So feel how that feels compared to the way I'm being is a mess. Right, yeah, it, yes. I can tell the difference. Okay, Th that difference is the difference. Yes. That difference is the difference that makes the difference. So it's really the language that allows for the being. It's the being. It's the it's the it's the it's the different way of being that's accessed through language. Mm -hmm. In fact. That's one of the things that makes the being of a human being different than the being of a dog. Like I have a dog, Lana, she's right over here. And I love Lana and Lana loves me. 
But I would bet every dollar I have that Lana doesn't have the being that allows her to linguistically think, well, you know, I love David the way he is, but you know, he's wearing this pink shirt, but I think he might look better in a blue shirt. I don't think the being of a dog has the linguistic flexibility to do that kind of imagining, to do that kind of thinking, to make those kinds of distinctions. And, and, and if she did, I don't think she'd have the free will to change her way of representing that in different kinds of languages. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm imagining like listeners who, uh, you know, might be with this, like what questions do you think we can ask ourselves to uh, get more curious about how we're being, you know, and the other um, uh, aspects of the model that you shared, like how can we start getting more aware of that? How can we? Hmm. Yeah. I don't think that way. So I've got to kind of get into your world. Hmm. I'm having a really hard time with this one. I mean, you've got to want to get into it. You've got to trust me enough that I, that, that I know what I'm talking about, that you'll follow my suggestion to actually be willing to turn the searchlight of your consciousness to asking some new questions. Well, so that's what I'm asking. So what questions could we begin to ask so we can start revealing for us, uh, you know, like how we're being? Well, the problem with that is that that's usually for the average person, that's too high a gradient to start with. If I come up to the average person on the street and I go, what have you been being? They're going to ask me what I'm smoking. Okay, so, so what do you see as the next step? So I don't tend to start with my students. Oh, by the way, what have you been being? Oh, what could you be being? Oh, what are you choosing to be? You know, they're going to go, fuck you. So, <laughs> you know, so it's like, it's really hard to answer your question because different people are starting at different places. There's some people that are so disconnected from themselves and life that you've got to start at very, very uh, fundamental place. Like some people, you've got to teach them how to breathe in different ways. Some people, you've got to teach them how to relax their tongue and their diaphragm and their facial muscles and their shoulders and you start where you, you have to meet people where they are. You see, I don't judge where people are. I just see where they are. You see, that's the difference. That's the difference between you and me. I don't judge you. I see you. I couldn't see you if I judged you. That's powerful right there, right? Like, so I couldn't see you if I judged you. I'm glad I said something, Kelly. 
<laughs> no, so, but that's like, I can't see if I judge, like see, just see, for see, life. See, that's so that okay. resonated with you. Okay, but maybe that wouldn't have resonated with you two years ago. You see, so part right. of being a good teacher and a good guide is not following a recipe with people, but is being, is seeing people, not seeing what you want to see, not seeing what you are judging, not what you wish to see, but seeing what's in front of you without making shit up. And before you can be that way, you have to realize the shit you're making up. And so with many people, that's a big part of it is discovering the difference between reality with a capital R and the story you're making up about reality. And let me be very clear here. There's nothing wrong with stories. I love stories. But here's a question to answer your question. Here's a question that can be a very useful question for many people. Are you ready? Drum roll. Here's one you can take to the bank. Do you have your stories or do your stories have you? What have your stories been for? What could your stories be for? What are you choosing to have your stories be for? I mean, for most people, that's worth the price of admission. Absolutely, I, I agree with you. So what I noted down, do you have your stories or do your stories have you? What have your stories been for? What are you choosing your oh, no, stories? And then after that was what could your stories be for? Okay. What could your stories be for? And what are you choosing your stories to be to for? To have your stories be for. Those are powerful questions, yes. Huh. But you see, I wouldn't start everyone with those questions. Right. It's a journey is what I'm telling you. It's an infinite journey into your own infinite nature. But at the same time, it's a very practical path. In other words, we're, we're doing this inquiry not for the sake of a philosophy class. We're doing this inquiry for the impact that it has on being, but also the impact that it has on being in the world. And is that like, and so, well, so, so let me just ask like, so in our given day, let's say I was to become conscious, okay? So it's, let's not, say it's, it's not like, it's not like turning on a light switch. It's not you are or you aren't. It's not like, well, one day I wake up and I become conscious. Well, so that's not what I meant. I meant like in a moment, right? So I've got moments when I'm not conscious, meaning I'm not conscious of my consciousness that I have choice in the moment, you know? Okay. And so, what, uh, so but you, looking at your model, what I'm imagining is, all right, when I become conscious, I could use your model or begin to use your model by just identifying, hey, what am I being in this moment? For and most then... people, that's, that's too hard. Okay. For most people, that's way too hard. 
for most people, it would be more useful to become aware of what am I thinking right now? What's my breathing yeah. pattern like? Okay, got it. What am I thinking? What am I imagining? It, uh, I have to say this to you because I know you have a, I'm saying this to you because I know you have a long-term intention of guiding other people. One of the things I'm sensing from your questions is a lack of sensitivity to gradient, to proper gradient, which is probably a reflection of how you treat yourself you probably treat yourself with a lack of sensitivity to what is your appropriate gradient. And you probably set yourself up for failure by, 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 by not respecting your own gradient. And then things get really hard. And then you get to be right about how hard it is. Your impatience gets you in trouble because you confuse being with becoming. You have a confusion of levels. There's always the infinite being that you are, but then there's the existential phenomenological unfoldment of the development of a soul and the development of a human being in a particular incarnation. And many people are afraid to acknowledge that because they're afraid it will take them away from the truth of their infinite being. But it doesn't work that way because truth is like heads and tails of one coin, being, becoming, being, becoming. And, and, and freedom isn't going to come from trying to be a master right now at everything. Freedom will come from making peace with the fact that in some things right now you're a beginner. And to enjoy beginnerness. And letting go of the idea that being an advanced person in something is better than being a beginner at something. If you can't enjoy being a beginner, I promise you, you can't enjoy being advanced. Because you know why? Why? If you're comparing yourself, there'll always be somebody more advanced than you. Can you imagine if like, here, let's bring it down to earth and begin to wrap it up. Can you imagine if 47 years ago, when I first began to take, to take a stand in the world as a healer, as a guide, as a teacher, can you imagine if I wouldn't have started because I'm not a master at it yet? Can you imagine if I wouldn't have respected and enjoyed myself because I hadn't mastered it yet? Imagine if I hadn't started it out because I knew that at a personality level, I was still pretty screwed up. And I was waiting for me to be perfect before I shared what I knew and I knew what I was good at and I used my gifts, I would not be anywhere near, I would not be anywhere near where I am now. I would not have touched the thousands of people I've touched 
That would have been such a heavy price to pay. But on the other hand, I didn't profess to be a master. I professed that I knew something that I thought the knowing of which could be useful to you. And I had a gift as a teacher and I used it. She would have been such a shame if I had suffocated that life. Yes. I appreciate you sharing that. Yes. Yeah, respect for gradient without it impinging on your knowingness of your infinite nature is very important. That's why when you ask me these how questions, I kind of go on tilt because, because the answer is so individual and it's even more specific than individual because I might say one thing to Karmjeet on Monday and I might say another thing to Karmjeet on Wednesday because I'm not about getting the right answer for Karmjeet. I'm about being the most useful I can be in the moment. And that's playing a totally different ball game. I'm not trying to be right. I'm trying to be useful. I'm trying to be, to bring out the best in you. I'm trying to be an uplifter. I'm not trying to be right for all time. I'm not trying to give Karmjeet the right answer that I would always give her. And I would give it to Tom and Dick and Harry. I love the story that Ramdas tells, right? About the time he goes to the hospital to visit one of his disciples, one of his students. And he's lying on a gurney. And then there's this old lady lying on a gurney right next to her. And uh, he goes over to the old lady that's complaining about the pain in her neck. And he goes, oh, let me puff up that pillow for you so you feel a little better. And then he turns to his student and his student goes, oh man, I'm in such pain. And he says something like, you're really running a victim number, aren't you? So I just don't know how to answer your how questions because they're so, they're so contextually there's like the right action is embedded within multiple contexts of like an endless number of Chinese, like Chinese boxes within boxes. I mean, I mean, what works for me to say to you is a function of so many things that's constantly changing that to try to figure it out is like, I don't want to go there because you can't figure it out. It's unfigure outable. You just have to be present and be aware and be conscious. I think in many ways, Dr. K, you actually answered my question by the things that you shared, okay? And you um, demonstrated <laughs> many of the things that, that are very useful and, and also you, you know, I think you're very clear on that it is very individualized and that it's not the same answer on one day than it is on another day. So, and, and I think- in fact, you know, in fact, one of my, as you know, one of my pet peeves are teachers who treat every student the same. 
parents who treat every child the same. I just want to go like this. <laughs> you are being so disrespectful to that soul by doing that. That is what the dark side wants. Yeah, so I appreciate you actually being, you know, here with me, as well as with the people who are going to get an opportunity to listen to this in that everything is right, it's dependent on the moment and what's needed. And I think it's beautiful what you said is like, you're wanting to be useful to what would bring out the best in me. And, you know, I and I appreciate that, like more than words could uh more than I could even share and so do you want to bring it home as to like you know what you'd like us to how you want us to be with Phoenix Rising yeah so if this resonates with you I'm going to share a vision I have but I'm not stuck with it okay remember I talked about essence versus an image so I'm going to give you an image but I'm not stuck with it I'm I'm into the I'm committed to the essence that this vision is pointing to so I'm envisioning like about maybe about 40 people worldwide um, gathering virtually on some kind of periodic basis over a period of probably maybe six to nine months where we use this mental scaffolding model as a skeleton from which to begin to eat the elephant because it's a big elephant. It's a really big elephant because of the way we're thrown to be. And what I'm wanting to bring forth is an alternative parallel culture to the profane, unworkable culture that's breaking down around all of us. And so within this, would we, so, so we would work on whatever is needed is what you're saying. Yes, and, and people will make it their own. Like for example, again, I'm just gonna keep creating images for people. Like, okay, like in the course of getting to know each other, you might find, you might have a passion for uh, ending child trafficking. And you may put out in some form to the group that that's one of your passions or you have a skill in something and then somebody else has that same passion or you might be communicating with the group about a challenge you have maybe you have a challenge eating in a way that honors your body and then maybe seven other people have the same challenge and maybe there's another person who used to have that challenge but now they've mastered it and so maybe all of you uh, communicate and don't take the major group time, but you, you, in addition to that, spin off your own group and you use what you've learned in the main group to have that side group be really powerful and workable and effective. In other words, 
who knows where it will go? You know, it's like having a baby. It's like uh, it has its own nature. It has its own soul. It has its own motion. So I'm not here to control the motion. I'm here to set it in motion and to and to give you the 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 possibility of being and the access to the physical vitality and the abundance and the skillful means inner and outer that you need for wherever you take this because you're going to take it if if what I'm saying is valid you're going to take it in a way that honors your own soul you're going to stand on the shoulders of what you've learned here and elsewhere, and you're going to make it your own. So the, the most valuable prediction I can make about where it's going to go is that I'm not going to predict. I'm going to have the faith in the natural motion of this teaching that any prediction would be a limitation. How's that? <laughs> yeah. Well, so I can be with that and I'm being with that. And at the same time, there's parts of me that want to know, well, how would this come about? Like, what will this include? And, and I'm being with that, but I'm just saying, you know, that's present. You know that song, uh, I'm a love machine. How about I am a how machine? Right. <laughs> I am a how machine. <laughs> I don't have the faith. I want the how. I am a how machine. I want to know. I want ego guarantees before I start. Thank you for pointing that out. You see, the, the reason they pay me the big bucks is because I help people see the back of their own head. I, I help people see where they're coming from. Uh, I don't prescribe where to go. That was a powerful statement. I help people see where they're coming from. I don't prescribe where they should go. That is super powerful, yes. That's not my job. That's way above my pay grade, way above my pay grade. That's between you and your creator. So I'm excited by this opportunity, you know, that, that you're sharing. So how can people find out more about this? Probably the uh, most efficient way would be for people to send me an email at david.kamnitzer at gmail.com. That's david dot like a period, K-A-M as in Mary, N as in Nancy, I, T as in Tom, Z as in Zebra, E-R at gmail.com. Introduce yourself and tell me what you want to tell me that you think will give me the best opportunity to tune into whether you would be appropriate for this. And I promise one way or the other, I'll get back to you and um, either I'll tell you 
no, I don't think this will work. I think you'd be better off maybe checking out blah, blah, blah. Or if I think it might be a good fit, I'll say, uh, great, let's set up a time to ex further explore this possibility. And then also invite people, even if it is, if, whether it is for them or it isn't for them, to, to thoughtful, give us some thoughtfulness about who you want to share this with and, and share it and frame it in a way where you respect the value of it. How was this for you, uh, both as a uh, student and as a interviewer going into it without, with my encouragement to not over how it, to not over structure it, to not over plan it, but to give it some breathing room so we could honor the natural rhythm and motion of the conversation. Well, like uh, I heard you say is, you know, one of the reasons you get paid the big bucks is you help people see the back of their hand or like, you know, what they've been being that they didn't know. And once again, I noticed with your help what I've been being that I wasn't aware in the moment that I was being. And so for me, you know, this was a great opportunity and I, and I really appreciate this. And I'm super excited about, you know, Phoenix Rising and, and I like, I appreciate the scaffolding that you provide. I think that is a great benefit, right? Regardless of what, what happens next, that scaffolding provides a way of kind of being with this and at least starting to be with this, you know. And, and very much the way that God creates. Like, for example, God gave you the scaffolding of two arms and two legs and 10 fingers and 10 toes, but God's not telling you what to do with it. I like that. Yes, right. Yeah. You know, we're, yeah. enrollment is like creating spaces of possibility, right, for other people to share it. Mm -hmm. so, so that's what you're doing. You're creating space and opportunity with this Phoenix rising for what wants to emerge through them. Yeah. And, then, and then that's kind of a feminine energy of creating space, but there's also the masculine energy of the structure, of the, of the scaffolding, which I also created so that it wouldn't just be like, whoa, whoa, like whatever, but you know, but there's some power to it. There's some structure, there's some, there's some uh, reality anchoring points for the mind so that it's not overwhelming. So that it's not, so that it doesn't just overwhelm people that would be too high a gradient. Yes, absolutely. And I think right now, lots of people are thinking about trying to understand masculine and feminine, the fact that you brought both of those in right now and that that would be part of, you know, what might be created out of this. That seems very exciting too. Sure. I mean, one thing I didn't say because I think it's obvious, but maybe it's not obvious to everyone, is if, if you get to know me better in the way that I teach is I play off my students. You know, uh, I match your energy. I match the, the level of your depth of inquiry, I match the level of your sincerity. And so that's a big reason why I can't answer most of your how questions, because I'm not trying to control my students. Got it, thank you. And the last thing I wanna to say to you is that um, one of the reasons that I chose you to be the interviewer, besides your passion for the path and of truth is that um, I think as you continue 
to become aware of and let go of what you've been being that's not working for you. I think you have some natural gifts and talents and strengths that could show up as an interviewer. You know, I could see you interviewing people that you find interesting and, and, and out of your interaction with me, becoming a more powerful interviewer and becoming and enjoying the process more as well. So, um, so I want to acknowledge you for some gifts I see there that are lying somewhat dormant, but are ripe for the picking. And then also um, to let you know that I really appreciate the opportunity that you gave me to uh, put into words and images, um, words and images that for many people may be a doorway to the essence of what is beyond words and what is beyond images, which I would call essence. And that's mostly where I live. I kind of live in the realm of essence and then I use words, I use images, I use stories, but I use them in purposeful ways to catalyze and amplify and glorify and extend the possibilities and the energies of those essences. And so I'm not a teacher that teaches in a vacuum. I'm not a teacher that follows a rote outline. Okay, class, today we're going to do this. No, that's not my way. Okay, we have enough people doing it that way, and we know where that gets us. So I'm about standing for a possibility, the possibility of a new possibility of being for human beings. That's what I'm all about. And then, and then substantiating that new possibility through skillful means, through a vibrant body, through abundance. Okay. So once again, um, there is a method to my madness. Um, once again, david.kamnitzer at gmail.com. David.k-a-m as in Mary, n as in Nancy, i-t-z-e-r at gmail.com. So thank you, Karmji. And we'll close, as always. Well, I should probably say, you've been watching or listening to another edition of Freeing the Body freeing the soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, and here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing or spirituality or social transformation. Today was a Turn the Tables episode where my friend and student, Pranjit Singh, was interviewing me about an upcoming project called Phoenix Rising. So with that, we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now.